The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I've learned my lesson over the years, or I think I have at least, that I shouldn't start a podcast by saying, I think this one's going to be a tiny bit shorter than usual, because every time I do that, I find something that I want to talk about for a really, really long time. But I also think that this podcast might be a tiny bit shorter than usual. Just a six-game Monday to go over, a couple of really interesting things to dig into, uh, and then we segue into a medium-sized Tuesday, eight games coming up tonight, which, you know, that's fine and all, but most of our time on this show is spent going over stuff that's been happening or kind of big-picture items that uh, may change the way we plan for our fantasy lineups or whatever the hell's going on. So anyway, uh, we'll just dive right into it. We'll see how long things take, you know? not gonna, I'm not going to lean into the, I think it's going to be shorter. I'm just going to see what happens. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Bespris. That's a normal way to start a podcast. Hello, everybody. It's Tuesday's edition. Hoopball presentation on Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company. Our two presenting partners here. One of them, of course, is our home base over at Hoopball. Check out the premium product, Game Time Premium. Use the coupon code DOC and get $350 off your Game Time Premium purchase. But you know what I actually want to promo first thing on today's show? Nothing! By the way, big thank you again to Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company. Follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespers. No other promos at the beginning. We're going to dive right into the fantasy, and I'm going to slip the promos into the middle of the show, and you'll never even see them coming. Right out of nowhere. Short Monday, six-game Monday, but a very interesting one. And that's why I'm not sure that it really is going to be a shorter show than usual. We will see. Number one, we had Minnesota catching three points on the road as our best bet yesterday. I also told one of our uh, subscribers who told me I had the wrong damn number there. I had Minnesota minus three. Uh, so obviously I liked it at plus three. And they won by six outright. So a nice dog winner there for the Timberwolves. That was an easy one to call. Always fade a team getting its superstar back. Very straightforward move. Yes, Blake Griffin actually had a pretty good performance in his 24 minutes, but it totally threw off the balance of the rest of the team. The defense was bad. Minnesota hit a bunch of three-pointers, which, you know, to their both sides did, actually, to their credit. But Minnesota got a bunch of looks right in front of the rim. Easy layups that just made life so simple. So the defense for Detroit wasn't where it needed to be. And... Outside of, you know, obviously it was a very high-scoring game, but some of that, you kind of, it's a grain of salt thing. It wasn't a hyper-efficient 114 points. They shot 44.8%. Andre Drummond had a really poor shooting game. Carlton Towns did a really nice job on him. Both of those guys actually dealt with foul trouble at stretches in this ballgame. Blake Griffin was efficient in his time on the floor. So was Langston Galloway, oddly enough. Uh, Luke Kennard, 17 shots to get to 25 points. They made their free throws, but again... While the fantasy lines were nice, this was an easy prediction. Minnesota missed a bunch of open looks in their last ball game. Those went in here against a disjointed uh, Detroit team getting some guys back. Derrick Rose played 20 minutes in his return. He didn't shoot the ball well. If he did, it actually would have been a really nice ball game. Six points, three boards, five assists, two steals, and a block. I mean, he was really two or three made shots away from a really nice all-around fantasy game. So I'm good with holding on to him. I think he's going to be fine. Luke Kennard... 
that was one of the names I thought, well, maybe he'll lose a little bit here with everybody coming back, but he played a team-high 40 minutes in this ballgame. So to his credit, he might actually be a guy that, that stays a little bit better than what my prediction was, which was kind of hanging around towards the back end of ownership. Now, I will give myself a little bit of credit for as well as he's played, he's still sitting right around top 80 value on the year simply because he does nothing on the defensive end. Zippo. He's averaging .2 steals, and he hasn't blocked a shot yet this year. If he had did anything, there was like .6 even, he'd probably be closer to a top 50 guy. But really, legitimately, that's a goose egg, and that's a soul-crushing number to take when a guy's doing enough good stuff in the other departments to more than make up for it right now. He's just got to find a way to fall sort of like stomach first into a steal or a block. Somehow find a way. The, th- the 40 minutes was nice, obviously. That's a good thing. That's, you know, if that stays up, then he can sort of maintain. But the fact that he does nothing on the defensive side, it does limit the upside. And as Blake Griffin plays more and Derek Rose settles back in, I do think that there's going to be a little bit of a petering off. Andre Drummond had a really nice game despite not shooting the ball well. He had seven defensive stats again. Uh, and that's your story with the Pistons. I think we're going to settle back in here to seeing Drummond, obviously, as a must-use guy. Griffin is on his way there, although I believe they have a back-to-back, so uh, he'll be sitting out the tail end of that one. If you want to stream Markeith Morris, by the way, tomorrow, uh, this uh, this one tonight would be the time. Canard, uh, he should be fine for the time being, and then we might actually see Derrick Rose sit out the back-to-back, too. We don't know yet, but I wouldn't be surprised. For the Timberwolves, uh, Josh Kogi was the guy I was looking at, and he totally flopped. I thought, well, maybe there's a chance he could get himself going. Rob Covington, uh, he ended up playing through, uh, getting knocked in the face in the fourth quarter. Did not have a particularly good ball game, but he'll be fine. Jake Lehman got real hot, and so they rode the hot hand. Also, interestingly, Andrew Wiggins continues to actually play decent basketball. Boggles the mind, but here we are. He has embraced analytics. Can't believe it. It worked. I mean, he's not going to be great because he's going to miss free throws, and his shooting percentage is not going to be 60 most games, but he is better this year, markedly so, and the Wolves are a better team than people give them credit for. They're not terrible. They're not great. But they're not terrible. I think that's the only; those are the takeaways from that ball game. I think the, really the note the note is be careful with that Detroit side. We're gonna know soon enough which of those guys stay above the cut line, and I think it's gonna be the four of them. Dallas went to Boston, lost one sixteen one oh six. Boston just chugging along. They lost Gordon Hayward, so other people just did a little more. Marcus Smart had seventeen points, very efficient. Nine shots. Kemba Walker was very good. Eight three-pointers for Kemba. Jalen Brown, 25 and 11. And in this one, it was Jason Tatum that had a terrible shooting night. He went one for 18. Yikes. You're not going to be able to prime away from somebody even after a, a poor shooting night, but that's that's a bad one. Um, Ennis Cantor made his return. He only played six minutes off the bench. I don't, I don't think that's going to be the trend, but I am concerned that he's not going to play enough to have fantasy relevance this year because Robert Williams, who they like, is the third-string center technically in this depth chart, and he's playing minutes in the teens. Daniel Tice has almost moved in front of Ennis Kanter. He sort of got Wally pipped a little bit here. Uh, and Tice had 11-5-3 and three with a steal and a block. He's been playing very well. 
Uh, I don't know that any of those three guys is going to be worth owning now that all three of them are playing. So you settle into Tatum, Brown, Walker, probably Marcus Smart now with Gordon Hayward out, who, by the way, that's one of the big news notes of this morning. Gordon Hayward had surgery yesterday in the afternoon. His timetable is six weeks, so mark your calendar. Today's the 11th. He had, uh, sorry, today's the 12th. I can do the math. He had surgery on the 11th is what I was trying to say. And then that would be, well, three weeks to December, three weeks after that would be basically Christmas. So that would be a nice Christmas present to get an ailing Gordon Hayward back into your lineup. You are absolutely positively sitting on him. Six weeks is not that long to wait. You have to just grin and bear it. Other people in your league are going to be dealing with other injuries. You're not alone. It sucks. But just swallow. Make sure he stays on your roster. And... If you're feeling so inclined, if your team has gotten off to a really nice start, maybe go try to buy him for like a top 60 guy. See if somebody will part with Hayward for pennies on the dollar because he hurt. It was like the base of a finger. And I I feel like, I mean, I don't, he's obviously not going to come back as rolling as he was when he went down, but I see no reason to say that he's going to fall off a cliff or anything. So that's your Boston side. For Dallas... Uh, one thing that caught me by surprise here is that it's looking like both Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba will have fantasy value, and that's an interesting development. Kristaps Porzingis played just 20 minutes in this ballgame, picked up five fouls, and obviously that has a little something to do with Kleba adding extra minutes. Dwight Powell had five fouls as well in this game. But he actually, Maxi that is, had been playing well basically nightly, and we'd kind of ignored it. He's number 94 in nine category leagues Actually, leading into that ballgame, he was number 94, so he should be moving up the charts a tiny bit. He's hitting almost two three-pointers a game. He's blocking over a shot a night. He's sort of like a very poor man's version of his own teammate, but just better field goal percent. He's hitting his free throws so far, which is not where he's always been at that point. Not bad a foul shooter, but, you know, he's sort of falling into a block here and there. He's not a bad rebounder. There's a lot to like about his game. I thought he was going to fall off a cliff, I'll admit. I thought he was cooked when Powell came back and got back to full strength, but as it turned out, they just shuffled some bodies around, and some of these other guys got wedged out. DeLon Wright had a really nice first half and then didn't do anything in the second half of this ballgame. I was getting ready to go pick him up everywhere. People were dropping him. I still think he's a guy that should be uh, rostered in nine category leagues. He's a nice roto fit, uh, and he was well on his way, and then things just sort of came apart. They're very deep. Jalen Brunson had a better ball game in this one, and that kind of cost him the opportunity. Uh, Luca continues to roll along. He's having a very nice season. No question about that. I still, so here's the thing. I'm not that upset that I didn't take him at like 15 or 16. I know he's at number 10 right now in nine category legs um, because a lot of things had to go right, and they are so far. In his, to his credit, to his massive credit, he's been incredible. He's hitting his field goals. He's hitting his free throws. Both of those numbers, we said, those are going to have to come up a lot. And they did. 42.5% from the field is now 48. 71% at the line is now 84. Those are the two things. We said these two things both have to happen for him to get anywhere near his draft point, and they are both happening right now. So massive credit to Luka Doncic. Uh, I did a lot of Jimmy Butlering and Andre Drummonding in the second round, so I feel fine about that as well. Uh, but those that took the chance on Luca are also feeling happy. So cool. We're all happy together. We all dodged guys like Rudy Gobert and uh, 
who else did we dodge? I think we dodged Drew Holiday for the most part during that stretch. You know? It's good. I didn't have it. I'll admit it. I didn't have him playing this well. But I also think I steered us to guys that are also playing good basketball. So, win-win. Memphis beat San Antonio on the road. This is a bad look for the Spurs. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge bounced back, sort of. He's still not rebounding this year. I don't know what that precisely is about. DeMar DeRozan looks bad. Rudy Gay had one of his weird wake-up games. But here's the thing I'm interested in is Derek White, who played 28 and a half minutes. DeJounte Murray only 19. And they kind of went back to not playing together again. That was my great fear with these two guys. They played at the same time for a couple of minutes in San Antonio's last ball game. They did not in this one. They went back to, you know, the Bryn Forbes, Patty Mills garbage at shooting guard for the entire ball game. Super annoying. Those two guys, by the way, allotting for accounting for all of the 48 shooting guard minutes. I mean, it's a very simple breakdown, you know. Derek White, 28 minutes, 44 seconds. DeJounte Murray, 19 minutes, 16 seconds. What does that equal? 48. Bryn Forbes, 27.52. Patty Mills, 20.08. (laughs) It's crazy. In any event, Derek White outplayed Murray in this ballgame. I continue to hope... I'll tell you, if they had played together in this ballgame, I think I would have made Derek White a pickup. As it stands right now, I know he had a good ball game, and so people are going to think about picking him up, but I don't know that this is the moment where you're like, oh, he's overtaking him, because it's just going to bounce back and forth. And it'll be on and off of rosters for months here until they play at the same time. Real pain in the ass. That's the only way I think I can express myself on this one. Massive pain. I'm waiting on it, though. One of these days it's going to happen, and we're going to be ready to pounce. Meanwhile, on the Memphis side, Jaron Jackson Jr. finally had a good ball game. only blocked one shot, which was kind of weird for him, but we're not going to complain because he played well, he didn't get into foul trouble, and they won. Jonas Valanciunas, 18-12 with two blocks on 9 out of 12 shooting. You knew the shooting would come around for him. It's slowly happening. Just hang on, folks. We're just starting week four out of whatever it is, 25 or something. So hang on. Everything's going to be fine. Nice to see JV playing well. Brandon Clark did a lot in little in this ballgame, only 17 and a half minutes. Dylan Brooks just chucking away. And he's close to rosterable in standard leagues. Jay Crowder, who's been playing well, uh, went back to a lower usage spot, but did have 10 boards, 4 assists, a steal, and a 3-pointer. And he's making a case. And then John Morant did rookie point guard stuff. This is why you don't draft rookie point guards. Because games like this happen... Too often. And Ja is outside the top 150. I mean, raise your hand if you saw this one coming. Rookie point guards. It takes a while. He's a great buy low guy, by the way. Great buy low. These rookie point guards, they tend to start to figure it out over the course of the year. We saw it with Trey Young last year. I wouldn't buy him low yet. I think I'd wait a little bit longer. You don't want to have to ride the whole learning curve. Oh, my sweet Daniel House bruised his back in the second quarter of Houston's win over the Pelicans, and that's a pisser. The worst thing to happen to someone like me who plays a lot of Roto Games Cap is to have a guy get hurt early in a ball game because it chews up a game. You get a goose egg, basically, but it does count against your games played. But I forgive you, Daniel. He's been so good. You are not letting go. Don't let go. Uh, P.J. Tucker, besides not having any defensive stats, basically had his usual game. Eric Gordon got to play more because House was down, 
And then it's the other, the usuals. Capella, 11-20 in two blocks. Westbrook, uh, efficient. That's nice. And then James Harden doing all sorts of goodies. The usual. I don't care that much about that side. Enough to tell you, just hold on to Daniel House. He's going to be fine. The Pelicans side is the interesting one. And probably the one where we're going to stop and have a slightly longer discussion about this team because the best line on the team's best lines on the team, Dan, figure out where to put the stupid plural, belonged to Derek Favors and JJ Reddick. The old men finally woke up for New Orleans. Easily the best game of the year for both of these guys. JJ Reddick now over his last two games has 12 three-pointers. And he's made his free throws, which is the usual stuff. He didn't have any defensive stats in this one, which is also the usual for him. But with Brandon Ingram out with a sore knee and Lonzo Ball dealing with a hip thing, and he may or may not play in the next ballgame, suddenly there are touches. Because Ingram was taking a bazillion shots a game, and when he's off the floor, then everybody gets to eat. In this one, particularly J.J. Redick. This looked more like what I thought he'd be signing in New Orleans to do. They desperately need floor spacers on that team, and he wasn't getting to play. I am torn, however, because every decision we make... Life would be so easy if this was a podcast where I could just hop on and tout and yell, pick him up, or drop him, pick him, drop him. There are some spots out there, not not even really podcasts, it's really more just voices. And it's not the big voices either. So I I do this, and then I think people are going to think I'm calling somebody out. I'm not calling anybody out. I just know that there are people that give the advice to just go out and drop and pick up guys willy-nilly. But it doesn't work that way. If you drop a guy and he plays well the next game, someone else is going to take him. So that's why you have to pick the right time to drop or pick up. You have to be judicious with this. So let's think this through. J.J. Redick now is squatting on a couple of good games in a row. He's going to be picked up because he's been playing well. But how much of this is because Lonzo Ball and now Brandon Ingram were out? In the game Lonzo missed, he played 29 minutes and had 22 points. In the game they both missed, this one, on Monday night, he played 37 minutes, which will break the poor lad, but still, nice to see, and had seven three-pointers. Are we guaranteed he's going to play enough minutes when those guys come back to warrant being on your fantasy team? That is a damn good question, and based on what we saw first thing this year, the answer is probably not. Because when everybody was out there, he was playing 17, 21, 25, 21, that type of stuff, and it wasn't enough to get him where he needed to be because, on top of all the other things, he wasn't shooting the ball very well during those stretches. And he's a guy that needs to be on the floor long enough to find his half a steal a game or get to the free throw line two or three times or be on the floor down the stretch in a close game and maybe get sent to the line on purpose or take your technical foul shots. Little things like that that actually contribute to a lower usage guy. Well, he got out there, he got some more usage in this ballgame. So, all that to say, yeah, if he's a free agent, you pick him up, see how this thing goes. You certainly use him while these guys are hurt, and when we get word that everybody's coming back, you probably bench him and see what happens in that one ball game. Yeah, you might miss a good one, but you also might dodge a bad one. And this, again, is a game's cap strategy. But if he plays well, you hang on, you start him. If he doesn't, then we know he's just not going to see playing time when the team is healthy. 
So he remains a little bit of a question mark, a very streamable question mark right now, along with Josh Hart, who's more than a streamer. He's been playing well all year. Andrew Holiday, who shot the ball horribly, uh, but did almost have a triple-double, so signs of life. But of course, you know the guy that I'm dancing around on this one because I'm super excited about it, and that's Derek Favors. I figured this was the ball game that was going to punt him. This was the one that was going to ruin whatever was going on for Favors in a nice direction. The Houston Rockets, run and gun, spread them out, fire three-pointers, use Clint Capella in a pick-and-roll, make Derek Favors move his feet and run after people all game long. And guess what? He played 29 freaking minutes and was awesome. Favors now is averaging 11 rebounds a game over his last three contests. He has four steals and two blocks over those three games. One of them, by the way, was when he was really just starting to ramp up. And the favorite part of all, he's a guy that shoots 55% from the field. Historically, this is where he's at now. If you eliminate some of the very early seasons of his career. So suddenly, suddenly, we're talking about a guy that can be this, this dude you drafted. I'm super excited about this. He's going to be a big-time addition for a lot of teams. I have him in a couple of spots. Not because I was targeting him, but because everybody was dodging him on draft day. I Frankly, I didn't blame people for doing it. I was not trying to take him, but he just kept falling and falling and falling and falling and falling and falling. And then I was like, well, fine. I guess I kind of have to now, don't I? <laughs> Yes is the answer to that question. Yes, you kind of have to. Where the hell did I get him in one place? It was crazy late. Uh, it was... Ah, criminy. It was uh, 84. Right? He was the guy that was going in the 40s at the start of draft season. Then he just tumbled. And I thought, well, you know, if he falls in the 60s, 70s, I'll think about it. And then mid-80s? Of course. The other guys going around there are, they don't have the upside. A few of them have done better. Freddie Van Fleet went around that same spot. That's a nice grab there. You know, Mikhail Bridges, he's a waiver wire guy. Ingles, Lou Will, JaVale McGee. These are guys that all went around Derek Favors. You've got the guy that's got the upside, and we're starting to see it. So let's play a little game with Derek Favors. And this is, what could he do if he actually sees minutes in the mid to high 20s? We're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves because when Zion comes back, that's going to pinch things in the front court a little bit. Worth noting, by the way, Jalil Okafor played 16 minutes. He might not play when Zion comes back. Kendrick Williams, Kenny Hustle, played 38 minutes. A lot of that, of course, due to the fact that Brandon Ingram was out. So there are ways to move bodies around and keep favors in the 24 to 26 range. Let's not... Expect 29 when Zion returns, if Zion returns, by the way. We still don't know how long that whole process is going to take. But the last time that Derek Favors played anywhere near 29 minutes was two years ago in Utah when he averaged 28 minutes a game, 12 and 7, with about two combined steals and blocks on 56% shooting from the field. Solid. What if you put those 28 minutes on a team that just likes to get out and run and he can get rewarded for gambling because no one's playing defense and guys are just going to get to him at the rim. Could we see something more like 
2014-era Derek Favors. Probably not the 16 points. I doubt he's taking 12 and a half shots a game. I would think maybe more like the year before that, where he was at 13 and 9 with a steal and one and a half blocks per game. And now you're talking about Paul Millsapian type stuff. So I'm excited about this. I think Derek Favors has top 75 potential now that he's playing. Probably not a ton higher than that, just because he's not going to be a focal point. But the field goal percent is going to be a huge boon. And for me, it's happening on a team that desperately needs someone that can knock down some buckets. And he should absolutely positively be rostered and, I would say, started. And if we want to look ahead to see who they might be playing in the near future, you can play that game. But I don't, you know, if he can hang in there with Houston, then I am not too worried about it. Clippers next, Montrez Harrell and Navica Zubats. Yeah, he'll be on the floor. They're going to need somebody out there that can deal with Montrez. And the late games on the docket went about how you might expect them to. Utah thumping the Warriors in Golden State. Draymond Green came back from his nebulous array of injuries. And got ejected. <laughs> 4.7 boards, 4 assists before he got punted out of that ballgame. Uh, so that was intriguing. He is a story in and of itself, so I guess we might as well just explore him for a moment here. Draymond Green is a very difficult player to have in fantasy right now. At least D'Angelo Russell is mostly healthy, so they'll probably just let him play especially if they're going to try to move him and get some stuff back. Remember, there was that whole discussion before the season even started of whether Russell would actually finish the year with Golden State. I, I, he can't be traded, obviously, in the next, whatever it is, five, six weeks, but anything can happen after that. I don't know that I'd expect it, but it's certainly something on the table, and he needs to be looking good if they want to get fair market value. Draymond Green, on the other hand, Sort of doesn't matter. I mean, he is actually, I believe he can opt out and become a free agent this offseason. He's one of the only guys in that pool. So they, I think, would prefer to have him sort of a depressed value. Keep the price down. Keep him there. If we push all of that stuff aside, and because we don't know the, the machinations of what's going on behind the scenes on that front, and just go with what we know, what we know is that the Warriors are... I would normally use a swear word if I was talking to some buddies, but it's, you know, keeping the podcast clean. The Warriors are screwed. They're screwed. They lost Steph for three months at least. I don't even think he's playing this season. Uh, Draymond is dealing with stuff. Clay obviously is out for probably the whole year. They're just not going to win many games. So, consequently, they don't have a huge impetus to play Draymond Green a ton this year. All that said, they'll play him a little, you know, he's not just going to sit out the whole season. He's a competitor. He's got that fire in his belly. He's going to want to be on the floor for some stretches. This week actually felt like a pretty good week for that, although you can see he's not handling losing very well. If you're trying to move Draymond Green and get out from underneath him, this is not the time to do it. You need him to put a few good ones together. And by a few, I don't mean two. I mean like five or six. It's got to be a couple weeks in a row where he looks good, not serviceable, good. And I don't know if that's going to happen. On the opposite side, well, now if it does, obviously you start to look to get anything you can for him. Top 60, top 70, whatever it is coming back, try to get something. 
if he looks good for two weeks. That's when it's harder for you to trade him, right? Because you're like, hey, he's playing well. I'm going to hold on to him the rest of the year. But understand that something is going to go wrong. On the opposite side, I'm not looking to buy low on Draymond Green. I think he's going to be a colossal headache. And I don't think that the risk is worth the reward. The ROI just isn't there. You could buy low with a top 90 guy or something right now, and I don't even know if that would go through. You you might have to go higher than that, and then it really says, no, this is too much to spend. But what are you getting back? We don't even know if he's going to be the top 50 guy we figured when this team was healthy. Top 50, top 40 with those numbers. If he's not trying out there and he's just coasting, we saw coasting Draymond last year, and he was like a top 65, top 70 guy, And that was with dudes around him that could shoot and get him assists. Picture that, but without the actual assist numbers, and you don't have a very good fantasy asset. So I would be trying to get out from under him, but you have to wait for the right time. So if you have Dre, sit on him for now. Try to string something together. Hope that he does. And then then you try to get what you can. Some kind of market value. Uh, Alec Burks had 10 points in only 19 minutes, so obviously he's going to be impacted by this. Willie Cauley-Stein actually looked pretty good in this ballgame. Eric Pascal had 8-6 and six with two steals. I mean, obviously a blowout loss is going to hurt a lot of people's numbers, but this is sort of what I was afraid of with the Warriors and why I said, hey, this is a guy you probably need to have on your team. But there wasn't a whole lot of conviction in it because I thought, and I think I... I don't remember if I said it here or on Twitter. I said I wasn't sure if anybody was going to have consistent value for this team. Because young guys that have never done it before are marked with inconsistency, especially now that Russell's back with a usage of 41. So I don't know that I'm doing a whole lot with any of these other guys on the dubs. I do think Willie Cauley-Stein has a chance to be uh, relevant. At least of all of these dudes, he has the easiest path to it. Because big man stats are a little easier to get. You don't have that same competition. You don't need a high usage to make your mark. Uh, nice to see Mike Conley getting going these days, 22-7 and seven with five threes. He's coming on. Uh, Joe Ingles had a good ball game. He's still not really inside the you-need-to-have-him range. Uh, he's number 171, but obviously something to keep an eye on. And he's not dropped in many spots yet, although he will be soon, if unless he does more 11-7 and seven games. Uh, and he might. There's a, there's a distinct possibility he's just not going to be a useful guy this year. And that's okay. Toronto was able to hang in there for a little bit. Uh, I want to say a little bit. It was really like three and a half quarters against the Clippers and then just ran out of gas. It's tough, man. The L.A. back-to-back, they probably celebrated a little bit the previous night after a win over the Lakers. They lost O.G. Ananobi two minutes into the game when Kawhi gave him the curly, uh, curly Larry and Moe treatment. Hopefully he's okay. Uh, Norman Powell limped off the court near the end with an ankle deal, so they just didn't have the bodies to hang with the Clippers for the entire ball game. Uh, Chris Boucher, 13 and six with a steal and two blocks. And as people continue to go down for this team, his opportunity continues to go up. So we said on yesterday's podcast, I wasn't sure exactly how minutes, how many minutes he was going to play in this ball game. I thought the Lakers was a particularly good matchup because he could sort of out energy a lot of their guys. I figured the Clippers would give him a little bit of an energy right back in his face, and instead they were sort of meh. The Clippers were, I don't know if they took this game lightly or if it was the Kawhi revenge thing where everything went haywire, but they weren't really super engaged either. Toronto played some good defense, but also the Clippers didn't make many shots. Um, All that to say, 
Boucher got his 22 minutes, and that's more than enough for him right now. And that's what we said. He needs to get basically all of Serge Ibaka's 22 to 25 minutes a game. And in this one, he did. So that's good news. If that sticks, he's fantasy relevant. But if he dips by four or five minutes, that could be the difference. Because he's all energy, all hustle. He has sort of a Rashawn Holmesian fantasy profile, but he can also hit the three a little bit. So, yeah, he's obviously in your lineups right now. Uh, you roll him out there and, until the energy falls off. And it probably will. You know, young guys, they go through these ups and downs, but he's useful right now. Norman Powell, if healthy, probably deserves a start. He's never had a great fantasy stat set. He is the safer of these guys because he's playing 35 minutes a game with Kyle Lowry out. Uh, but 15-4-2 with a three ball and a block. He doesn't do a ton besides score you some points. That's sort of his shtick. If other stuff were to creep in, he could move up the rankings fast. Uh, but he is, you know, certainly from a points league perspective, he makes a lot of sense because that's the fastest way to, to rack up points is actual points. From a nine cat perspective, he's fringy. He's useful, but fringy. I, I wouldn't mortgage the farm for him. He's more of a streaming type. Uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson was also interesting in this one. And I think that had more to do with Ananobi being out than Serge Ibaka. But he had nine and nine with three steals and a block. You guys know how annoyed I was with Rondé last year. Actually, he was like the one player that Brew and I disagreed with or disagreed on last season. You remember that silly little back and forth? We never disagree, so it was kind of fun that it actually happened. Um, if Ananobi misses any time, he could be an interesting streamer, but I'm not buying in as a, a longer-term play. And obviously, with everybody dead, Marcus Gasol uh, is going to have to do enough to stay on your team. He has no choice now but to raise his usage from like 7 to 14. Paul George is coming back for the Clippers relatively soon. I'm not going to change valuations much because most of the guys for them were on the outside looking in anyway. But obviously that puts another person on the inside of that Clippers bubble of guys that actually will have fantasy value. Oof, bad shooting game for Kawhi Leonard and nine turnovers. Raptors really came after him. Of course, the assists were high because they forced the ball out of his hand, but yikes, not a good shooting game. Two for 11. Very few looks, only 11 shots. Weird game, weird game. Uh, the line was right on the money, by the way. Clippers were favored by 10. I figured they would cover, actually. I thought the Clippers would get him because that was a tough spot for Toronto. Well, kudos to the Raptors for hanging in there and uh, getting themselves a push. And that's, uh, that's the, what do you call it? That's the yesterday, I guess. Stick a fork in that one. Move ahead. And zoom! Just like that, I said I was going to sneak attack you with a promo, and here it is. It's an easy one. It's a free one. This is the really nice part. Did you guys know that Aaron Brewski, the Aaron Brewski, the founder of hoop-ball.com, is writing an email-only newsletter this season? Some of you probably did. In fact, I know at least a handful of you did, because there's many hundreds of you that are already on the list and receiving it. Did you know Aaron Brewski's weekly newsletter covers all 30 teams in the NBA? Every week he's doing this. He's a maniac. It's like nine pages long, and the only way to get it is by email. It's not on HoopBall. It's not on Twitter. It's not on a podcast. It is only in the HoopBall Brews letter. You want to know who named it? It was me. I came up with that. <laughs> Stupid. The Bruise Letter. 
It's coming out on Mondays. So if you missed this last one, that's okay. There will be another one. I know what you're thinking. Dan, that sounds awesome. Is it really easy to get on the mailing list? It is. Good question, asker. It's super easy to get on the mailing list. Go to hoop-ball.com slash newsletter. Hoop-ball.com slash newsletter. Or if you just go to hoop-ball.com, there should be a little tab that comes up from the bottom of the page that asks you if you want to be on the mailing list. You can join it there as well. It is the Bruise Letter. It's email-only content exclusively from Aaron Brewski. Sign up now, hoop-ball.com forward slash newsletter, and be a part of this incredible new offering from Aaron and Hoopball. Tonight, Tuesday night, eight-game slate. Always fun. We'll see if we can keep the betting stuff going. Philadelphia, 11-point home favorites over the Cleveland Cavaliers. That seems like a mess in the making. Uh, Oklahoma City is at Indiana. You know what? I don't want to do the betting stuff first. I want to do the fantasy stuff first, so we'll loop back around. Cleveland, Philadelphia has nothing there either. (laughs) Oh, Pick your direction here, Dan. You know, we're a a little bit. uh, Okay, so uh, Darius Garland's played more than Jordan Clarkson the last couple of games. Maybe that's something to keep one eye on, but not really worth intense viewership. Oklahoma City is at Indiana. This should actually be a pretty well-contested ball game. We still don't know who the hell's playing for the Pacers. They've been awfully banged up so far. So has Steven Adams in what's a two-game week for the Thunder. So I, I don't know. I mean, if you have Nerlens Noel at this point, you sort of hang on and stream him if you have the opportunity. But I do still find it a tiny bit unlikely that Steven Adams misses significant time. He's, it's a weird injury because he's kind of on and off at the moment. Um, but anyway, I got lost in thought on that one. Uh, Detroit at Miami again. We'll probably not see Blake Griffin in this ball game, but again, you know, we're we're learning where everybody's going to be with Detroit, so I wouldn't put too much stock in whatever happens in this ball game. The Heat, on the other hand, this is one where we continue to learn as they evolve as a team. Let's say Justice Winslow plays, for example. That's just another mouth to feed. So you know, you got Jimmy Butler. You know, you've got Bam Adebayo. It's not entirely clear what other pieces are going to be good enough with that team. The center position is a rotation. The Winslow, whatever. I mean, I didn't, honestly, I don't even know who's sharing minutes at what a lot of the time. But Kendrick Nunn with Tyler Harrow and Goran Dragic. We've been talking about how only two of those three guys seemingly can play well on any given night. I'm still holding. I, I do still think Nunn is the guy to hold of the three, but we're sort of at a point where we need to figure out if any of these guys is worth deploying on a night-to-night basis. The Knicks are in Chicago. The Knicks have been a complete disaster, and, you know, they sort of got all called out out of the last one. They actually beat the Bulls when these two teams played one another earlier this season. So there's a weird little revenge thing going on. I really hate betting against a team after they got embarrassed and undressed the way the Knicks did at home by a fellow clunker team in Cleveland, it's a bad spot because they're probably going to wake up. Uh, But again, their revenge line would say Chicago if you ignored all the other stuff going on. Fantasy-wise, Frank Nilakina's playing well, and there's nobody coming for him right now, at least not until Alfred Payton gets back. I don't like the uh, center rotations there. Even Julius Randle has been crummy so far this year. Uh, Wouldn't be surprised to see Marcus Morris actually have a decent ball game. Chicago side... 
I think we have a pretty good idea. I mean, if people are actually who, you know, we, we know who's playing, then we sort of know who's going to do what. Uh, Otto Porter, still not all that close, but he remains a hold um, because you can't do anything else with him right now. I mean, he's a guy that's been a top 20 dude in the past. At some point this year, Chicago is going to let him do his stuff, and he was starting to actually get closer to it. I know you guys are going to kill me for this one, but I, I also know that down the line, you are going to thank me profusely for not letting you drop him because prior to getting hurt, he was actually a top 80 guy over that week. And his last two ball games, including the one he played 12 minutes in, he was actually a top 30 line guy. That was in about 15 and a half points a game, three rebounds, an assist, one and a half steals, and three and a half three pointers. It's there. The percentages were leveling out. He just needed some more opportunity, and we were so close. And then down he goes. So you got to hang on. The future is bright, even if it's Chicago. Atlanta, it looks like maybe Kevin Herter is going to be the third guy, but we still haven't truly seen anyone step up to take that spot vacated. I mean, I guess we did. I mean, we saw Jabari Parker, but it just seemed like they needed to be more. Anyway, with Denver... Uh, four of the five starters to me are worth using, and I don't know that I need to dig too much deeper into that one. Lakers, losers to Toronto in their last one, now take on an upstart Phoenix team that's playing really well so far this year. Kind of curious to see if the Lakers take them seriously, but I think this is going to be a hell of a ball game, actually. This is going to be a close one. Not much fantasy-wise. Mikhail Bridges is the name I'm watching on the Phoenix side to see if his minutes continue to slowly trend upward. He's not there yet, but he could be sort of an interesting specialist type if his minutes creep a little bit higher and you see guys like maybe Dario Saric move more towards the outside. And when I say the outside, I don't mean the three-point line. I mean the outside as in not playing as much. Brooklyn's been bad. Karis LeVert is potentially hurt. We don't have the news yet. Maybe it'll come out right around the time this podcast airs. Uh, but that obviously clears the runway for a little more stuff for Torian Prince probably a little bit more for Spencer Dinwiddie. I don't like Brooklyn this year. We've been down that road. I mean, obviously Kyrie Irving is a guy. I do think Jared Allen is the better center to own. But looking at this roster, you knew right from a quick glance that there were issues. And now they are coming out in droves. Like, what the hell was going to happen when you brought in DeAndre Jordan for four years? This is a 45 and a half was their opening number. I bet that under hard. Utah's pretty predictable these days. You know, the question always is, is Mike Conley going to do anything? And then Portland is in Sacramento. Kings have been playing a little bit better lately. They're actually favored by a point in this game, which I think might throw some people off. But Portland's been not very good. And there is stuff to watch. This is one of your watch games, by the way. This should be a high-scoring affair, so there's going to be fantasy stuff. Can Bogdan Bogdanovich continue to do stuff for Sacramento? Does that kill Nemanja Bielitsa? Sort of a two-pronged thing on the Sacramento side. And for Portland... If Rodney Hood is not playing, does that mean Kent Bazemore plays 30-some-odd minutes again? How many minutes does Anthony Simons play? And if if it's a bunch, does he take a bunch of shots? They're banged up. You know, Zach Collins ain't coming back anytime soon. That's a team that desperately needs to trade for a power forward, and I don't know if they have the pieces to do it. Uh, but obviously, they were better when Rodney Hood was healthy. They were better when Zach Collins was healthy, but they just haven't been that good this year overall. I don't remember what I did with this team. Did I take the under this year? I hope so. I'm going to look it up while we're talking. I did. I took the under. Thank goodness. Under 44 and a half. I just thought everybody else got better and Portland didn't do anything. 
Honestly, I just thought that Dame Lillard was going to run out of gas, and that hasn't been the case so far. Everybody else has. You can only run on a treadmill for so long, and that's kind of the way that franchise has been. Kudos to Dame for picking him up so many times. But, I mean, this might be the one. So there's a lot to check on in that ball game. There might be some streaming stuff. There might be some longer-term stuff. I think Portland-Sacramento is on your homework list for this Tuesday evening. And let's see. What else can we put on that bad boy? Probably Miami. Miami's worth watching. Detroit's not, but Miami is. If it's got to be one, it'll be Portland-Sacramento. From a betting standpoint, even without the lines, I can tell you right now, Sacramento is on revenge. They lost to Portland at home. So this is a home-home thing going on from a couple weeks ago. They have not yet gone to the Moda Center. By 10. They lost by 10. Second game of the year. So I like Sacramento. I think they're going to put up a hell of a fight. Uh, and I think that's probably why they're favored by a point. Chicago would be the other revenge game on the docket, but I already told you why I didn't like that one as much. Number one, no Porter. That does make them worse, contrary to what many of you might think. But Thad Young has been an okay fill-in. I just don't like what Chicago does. I think New York is going to play hard because, again, they got embarrassed. You know how I feel about those bounce-back games. And so I, I think two horrible teams are going to be really fighting tooth and nail. The revenge does say play Chicago, but I am a little bit more reticent with that one. And then maybe you played Detroit in this one. I know it's a back-to-back in Miami after their home game against Minnesota, so there's a decent amount of travel there. But now Blake's sitting. They probably play better without their superstar, at least right now. And obviously he makes them better when he's in long-term. But these here-and-then-gone type things do cause a little bit of a consistency issue. Folks, if you've been enjoying the podcast, I want to beg you, actually, we're doing the unbended knee thing again, to go and review it and drop a five-star rating. And if you like it, you know, throw a sentence up there as well. I love reading the, the positive reviews. If you write something funny, I'll probably read it on air. I know a lot of people say, hey, write a question in the uh, comments as you're rating the podcast, and we'll do it on the show. I'll do that for you on Twitter, man. I don't need you to do that in the, the pod review. I just want you to, if you like the show, to review it. Easy to do. If you're on iTunes, you just go to the podcast tab and you can do it there. If you're on your smart device, iPad or iPhone, pull up the podcast app. Use the search button to search for Fantasy NBA Today. Click on the show title, meaning the big logo, and then scroll to the bottom. That's where you can find it. It'll take you 70 seconds. It'll take you less than that if you're on a good phone. It takes 70 seconds on my four-year-old phone, which is sitting and waiting for everything. Uh, and I'd really appreciate it, really. I mean, we, it, it means a ton to us over here. It's how the show continues to grow, and uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying what you're listening to. Again, check out uh, Manscaped and MyBookie.ag, two of our partners here at Fantasy NBA Today. And, of course, sign up for the Bruise Letter. Hoop-Ball.com forward slash newsletter. Again, is the link to sign up for that bad boy. I uh, wanted to mention one more time, we've had some really good recruits right in to, to figure out if they can contribute here at HoopBall. We are continuing to look for contributors, so this is not like a full-time position. This is for uh, seeing if you can get in, if you've got what it takes to grow with us here at HoopBall. Uh, and right now, I'm looking for people on the podcast, marketing, social, that side of the fence. So if you want to come in, work with me, learn the ropes, maybe do some pod work, maybe do some marketing work, whatever it might be, be a part of us as we get bigger here at HoopBall. And you know what? I think I actually did keep the show a tiny bit shorter today. A tiny bit. 
tomorrow on Fantasy NBA Today. We'll talk to Brandon Marcus. We're going to get into buy low, sell high Wednesdays. That's a really fun thing I think we're doing now uh, where we actually work on pairing up names. Instead of just hypotheticals, we're going to go through and we're going to say, here's the way you do this. Find the guy that's overperforming. Find the guy that's underperforming. Match him up. Make your offer. Because you definitely have someone on your team that is overperforming. It's a, it's a hard thing to come to terms with, by the way, when you have a guy that's overperforming on your fantasy team because you want to just sort of write it off. Oh, he's just better than everybody thought. Uh, let's, you know, let's dial it back a little bit here. Most of the time, they are who they are. So find your guy that's overperforming, and then we'll teach you how to go find the pair. That'll be tomorrow with Brandon Marks. Obviously, we'll go over the Tuesday card and get you set for Wednesday evening as well. Uh, we got a coach visit coming up. Later on this week, haven't decided exactly when, probably Thursday's episode. And uh, then we'll wrap up the week on Friday with the look ahead. Rumbling along here. Fantasy NBA Today continues, as does the season. We're three full weeks in as of today. This is the start of the official week four. I know it's, you know, fantasy week four started yesterday, but I keep time from the Tuesday that it all began. Have a great this Tuesday. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. We will talk to you tomorrow. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.